All right, praise the Lord. All right. Let's uh let's bless the sisters one more time for uh all the hard work they put into. You could just see the joy on their faces, amen. Amen. They were so filled with joy. Some of them were just filled with joy. They were like, <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It was beautiful. Thank you, everyone. Uh, who participated in that. Let's turn our Bibles to um, Haggai chapter 1. <coughs> and in the effort to uh, discipline myself to preach the Word of God with greater depth and also to train uh, intern pastors here and other public speakers here, to handle the Word of God correctly, uh, I'm going to be starting a series of um, sermons from Book of Haggai. All right, from the Book of Haggai. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm still coughing, but I feel better. I feel a lot better. My voice is back. I'm able to uh, shout, you know, hallelujah again, you know. I wasn't able to do that for about a couple of weeks, so... Uh, Praise the Lord that God is uh, continuing to uh, <coughs> renew my strength. All right, Haggai chapter 1. Now, uh, uh, I'm going to be looking at the whole chapter today. And um, let's read uh, the first verse together. All right, one, two, three. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, Yehoshadak, the high priest. Hallelujah. <coughs> All right. Let's begin by uh, setting the context for the book uh, of Haggai. All right. Now, Darius is uh, the king of Persia at this time when the word of the Lord comes to Haggai. And... Um, if you guys know, you know, God raised up King David and established a monarchy among the Israelites. And um, if you guys know the history of Israel, there was a split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? And the southern kingdom, it was primarily the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, right? And in the northern kingdom, uh, it was most of the other tribes that uh, were together. Now, uh, during the history of the southern kingdom, uh, there were kings that stayed faithful to the Lord. They weren't all faithful, and they weren't all perfect, but they, they did pursue the Lord to some measure. In the northern kingdom, uh, they did not. They completely turned to idols. They tried to mix uh, their worship of God with the worship of idols, all right, and it eventually brought a judgment by God upon the northern kingdom. All right, now, the capital of the northern kingdom is? Okay, everyone say Samaria. Samaria, Samaria right? And later on in John chapter 4 in the Gospels, what, who does Jesus encounter? A Samaritan woman, right? Now, if you know the history of Jesus' time, the Jews were very racist against Samaritans. Why? Because Samaritans were the kind of the remnant, the remaining people that survived the judgment of the northern kingdom. All right. 
Now, the southern kingdom is where, you know, God's favor and his plan of redemption continues to go forth. I don't think it's particularly because Judah and Benjamin were more faithful than the other tribes. It's because God chose Judah. God chose Judah. All right? and, and Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. The, the Judah people are called Jews. Exactly. Right. Hallelujah. So I'm just kind of giving you guys a, a short nutshell you know, history lesson here. Now, <clears throat> when the kingdoms were split, the northern kingdom got judged first. But eventually, because of the uh, idolatry of the southern kingdom, Judah, you know, they often call it just Judah, the southern kingdom was also judged. And so what happened was there was a king, a mighty king. His name was right, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and completely took over the southern kingdom. And what was symbolic of the southern kingdom's fall was the taking of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so approximately 586 B.C. Right, and we, this is historic. The city of Jerusalem fell. Okay, what was in the city of Jerusalem that was very important? <coughs> the temple of God. Who built the temple of God? Who primarily built the temple of God? Solomon, right? After David is faithful to the Lord his God, Solomon enjoys these years of prosperity. And also God blesses him with much wisdom and favor. So, I mean, he has enormous wealth. And he builds this beautiful temple. Beautiful with just billions of dollars of gold and silver and all kinds of treasures. Hallelujah. (coughs) And this temple, when Nebuchadnezzar came through with his armies... He destroyed the temple. He broke down. He like literally, like imagine breaking down this building. Okay. And then times that by like, I don't know, like 10. I don't know how, how, bigger, how much bigger in scale the temple was. But imagine literally having to break it down. Like most armies when they come through, back in the day, they didn't have missiles, all right? They didn't have like eight, ten warthogs and like tanks to come in and like destroy buildings, right? They had to literally like break down, you know, the stones. And that's what the king of Babylon did. Because he knew that Jerusalem was a stronghold for, for the Jews. So he completely destroyed the temple and the whole city, burned it. And on top of that, took all of the Jewish people and then exiled them all over the kingdom that he was reigning over. Okay. If you are, you are with me, say amen. amen. <coughs> now, in my effort to honor my professors and uh, the things that I'm learning from God right now, you know, this is... Uh, uh, a way to look at the word of God. And uh, I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to really try to open up the context uh, because we need to look at the context before we look at the spiritual messages. And oftentimes when I've been preaching, I've been just going straight to the spiritual messages. Now that's going to throw you guys off for, because you guys don't have the years of uh, history and the, and the studies that I put into in my college days and after my college days. I really study the word of God. And you, since you guys don't have that, it's hard for you to handle the word of God like I do when, when I'm preaching. So in a way, I need to kind of come back and journey with you guys to study the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel a little bit, you know, like you're sitting back in a, a college classroom at some points. But hallelujah, just get through, the, get through that stuff because that's going to lay the foundations from which you're going to really uh, eat up the, uh, that's the table on which you feast on the buffet. Hallelujah. All right, hallelujah. So, 586 B.C., Jerusalem falls, it's destroyed. 
They're exiled. If you want to look at that, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 36. The end of 2 Chronicles, it tells us that indeed the city of Jerusalem fell. Now, for about 46, approximately 46 years, uh, they were under the reign of Babylon. Now, uh, if the book of Daniel will go right here in between these 46 years. Uh, Daniel lived during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, during the reign of Babylon. And in 539 B.C., approximately 539 B.C., Persia came and just completely took over Babylon. And that was to fulfill uh, the word of the Lord uh, through different prophets. And uh, so there was a king that was uh, the king of Persia at that time. They conquered Babylon. His name was? (coughs) Incorrect. His name is Cyrus. Okay. Cyrus. Okay. Everyone say Cyrus. All right, so Cyrus is the king of Persia. Hallelujah. I mean, you might have played a, a video game back in the day called Prince of Persia, right? Uh, you know, we still have a lot of, uh, I, I think, uh, we have a lot of influences from the Persian kingdom. There's, there's a lot of things that God used these mighty kingdoms to build. Like, if you think of the uh, British, the Great Britain, when Great Britain pretty much covered most of the known world with, with, with their uh, monarchy, uh, they established English as a language all across the world and still has its effects today. Well, back in times of Jesus, it was the Greeks, and Greek became the known language of all, all the world at that time. Well, at this time, as Persia takes over Babylon, Persia starts to expand their kingdom, gain even greater land. Twenty years later, <coughs> we have King Darius. All right, so we're at about 520 B.C. So the word of the Lord comes to Haggai at 520 B.C. How do we know that? It's because Haggai, uh, I think he was a perfect melancholy, uh, he uh, was very meticulous with the dates. So if you, this, is a, this is a luxury because not all the prophets do this. So we know exactly when Haggai prophesied. All right? It was when Darius just became the king. All right, so it's about 520 B.C. <coughs> now, Haggai is a prophet. There's two other me- uh, guys mentioned in verse 1. Who are they? Okay, everybody say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. He is the governor of, of Judah at that time. So whatever way he gets appointed as the governor of Judah. And there's another guy. His name is Joshua or Yeshua, right? And uh, he is the high priest when Haggai starts to preach. All right. So these guys were actually in their positions of authority for many, many years. Okay, and uh, I'll kind of go over what happens here. So um, <clears throat> if you were to get an idea of this, Haggai... It comes after the first uh, four chapters of Ezra. Okay. Uh, now, if you know where Ezra is in the Bible, Ezra is like way in the beginning. It looks like it's more way in the beginning. Haggai comes later. So chronologically, we think Haggai came much later. But uh, let me just give you a, a little fact about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not in chronological order. It is still a mystery what order it's really in. Actually, I I think they use the size of the the books uh, to determine some of the order. But um, (coughs) so uh, these guys, they're all over the place. So in order for you to know where, who goes, what, when, where, and what kingdom and what under what monarchy, you have to really study your commentaries and your NIV study Bibles and, you know, and John Michael. Hallelujah. (laughs) (coughs) All right. So uh, I gave you a background on the four guys. I'm just going to give you the nutshell. Let's read verse (coughs) 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay. So God speaks by Haggai and says what the people are saying at that time. 520 BC and the people, uh, the exiles that were exiled all over the place, they were returning. Some of them were returning back to Jerusalem. And when they returned under the uh, reign of King Cyrus, King Cyrus, God moved upon King Cyrus. You know, the Bible says the hearts of kings is in the hand of the Lord. And he stirs it wherever he pleases, like a water course. Okay? And so this guy, King Cyrus, he didn't know God. But God was stirring him up to release favor upon Zerubbabel, upon Joshua, upon the, uh, upon the people of Judah. And they began to return back to Jerusalem, the place where from they were exiled out of. And as they returned, uh, they were building, uh, rebuilding the house of God, the temple of the Lord. All right? And so what happened was, uh, let's turn to Ezra chapter 4. Okay? Everyone turn to Ezra chapter 4. We don't know who, who don't know who the, uh, for those who don't know where Ezra is, it's before First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Then you have Ezra and Nehemiah. <coughs> All right. So if you read Ezra chapters one to three, you see the hand of God, the favor of the Lord, being released. Through King Cyrus, the first Persian king. And so the people of Judah begin to return under the leadership of, of these dudes. And they return and they start rebuilding. But what happens in chapter 4? Look at verse 4 with me. Verses 1 through 5. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers of houses... Heads and the heads of fathers' houses. God love the ESV. Hallelujah. And said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esurhadon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then verse 4 says, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid, like they threatened them, made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Amen. <laughs> so, what happens in Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 where God says, the people are saying it is not time to build the house of the Lord. The reason why they were saying it's not time yet to build a temple is because they, when they started out about 20 years earlier, they experienced enormous opposition. They experienced enormous opposition. Hallelujah. People bribed the counselors. They threatened them. They discouraged them. I mean, they physically came in also. And they, they were just making it torturous for these guys to complete the work. So what did they do? They stopped. They stopped. After just, I don't know how long it was, maybe a couple of years, one or, one or two years. They stopped building the house, the house of the Lord. All right. They stopped building. And, <coughs> and uh, it is at that point 
that the word of the Lord comes through Haggai in chapter 1, verse 2. All right. Now, brothers and sisters, New Philadelphia, we have got to build the house of God. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, tell them, tell them we got to build the house of God. <coughs> brothers and sisters, when you try to build the house of God, you're going to be met with opposition. Amen? Right when you begin, you're going to be met with opposition. Right when you restart, you're going to be met with opposition. As you continue, you're going to still, you're going to continue to be met with opposition. And then once you expand your project, you're done with the temple, you want to expand out into the city, you're going to be met with opposition. And that's the time of Nehemiah, if you didn't know. Nehemiah actually didn't build the temple. Okay? Nehemiah built the walls of Jerusalem, the city. Hallelujah. And I think I, I sometimes mix that up myself. Now, brothers and sisters, um, there was a lot of obstacles toward the Jews in rebuilding this house. Think about it. They get exiled all over the world, known world. They return, right? And they have financial challenges to face. They have, um, uh, they're understaffed. They don't have enough resources really to finish the project. Right? This temple, rebuilding the temple. I mean, imagine how much money Solomon took and imagine how much labor it required to build the initial temple. And now these exiles, they're returning and trying to do the same thing. Imagine how big of an obstacle that must have been for them. Right? And on top of that, there was opposition from the Samaritans. Not just the Samaritans, there was opposition uh, from the people, the pagan people that were living in that land. I mean, there was just opposition from everywhere. Brothers and sisters, when you try to build a house of God, you're going to be met with opposition. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But brothers and sisters, <coughs> go back to Haggai chapter 1. Keep your finger on Ezra. If you can, we're going to be returning to it. Look at verse 3. 3 and 4. Let's look at the word of the Lord. It says, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Okay. God asks a question. But sometimes God asks questions, but he doesn't want an answer. Right? He already knows the answer. And he just is trying to clue you in to what he really believes, or what, what his heart is. Right? And so he asks this question, is it a time for you to live in these paneled houses while my house lays in ruins. So you have to think about this, right? For a period of 20 years, once King uh, Cyrus allows the exiles to go back and rebuild the temple, they get opposed. So Zerubbabel, these guys, they stop the rebuilding. And then for a period of 19, 20 years, they don't do nothing. That's a long time. 20 years is a long time. I've only been alive about 30 years. Hallelujah. I mean, 20 years is, you know, two-thirds of my life. That's a long time. And during that time, what did the people do? Nothing. They didn't do nothing. They didn't even go over there and throw a rock at it. They just, they just went and they started to build their own houses. Right? And uh, there's different arguments about what paneled houses really means. Right? But uh, one way to think of it is paneled houses, these panels, <coughs> they're like luxuries. So, I mean, 
I mean, these exiles, they return, they should have a house. So, yeah, they, they build houses. But to get a paneled house, it's like putting, like, you know, nice chrome rims on your, you know, like, 88 Toyota Corolla. I don't know, like some, you know, tongcha that you have, you know, putting nice rims on there. It's like you're putting these, like, nice luxurious embellishments on your house. Hey, where did you even get that money for that? You know, sometimes <coughs> I love uh, brothers and sisters from California. But sometimes I wonder when I'm out there, man, they are barely able to pay their bills. They can't pay their rent. And they got these like crazy turbo systems inside of their cars. These nice, like, I don't know, 30 inch wheels. I don't know how many, how big they get these days. All right. And then they got this nice speaker, uh, uh, AM, FM, uh, I mean, you know, MP3 player stereo systems all souped in with their subwoofer in the back. Like they went on the show. Um, Pit my ride. <coughs> I mean, literally, that's what people in California do. Okay, maybe not everybody. Maybe not everybody, but I know a lot of the young people I work with in college ministry, man. Man, they, they look like, you know, they don't live on the streets, but then when they, when they get in their car, man, it's, it's nice. Like, where did you get money to soup up your car when you can't even pay your rent? <coughs> That's kind of like what God's saying here. You know, is it right for you to live in these paneled houses while my house lays in ruins? He's asking, where are your priorities? You're telling me it's a matter of timing, a perfect timing. I'm telling you it's a matter of priorities. Hallelujah. (coughs) Brothers and sisters, in a lot of ways, if you look at Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, it really, um, it's a sign of a lot of churches, uh, especially in America. I mean, I, I only know America, so I'm just going to say America. And I saw in Australia, a little bit of Australia, as much as I know about Australia. Uh, perhaps Korea as well, right? The state of the churches in our land They're much like the state of the temple of the Lord at this time of Haggai. Churches are falling apart. Churches can't stay together. Churches, they don't reach the lost. Instead of ministering to the lost, they just fight amongst each other. Right? Instead of doing church plants, they do church splits. Instead of uh, really studying the law of God, they just bring lawsuits against each other. I mean, the churches in, in a lot of these places, the state of the churches, is just, it's like in ruins. And what God is saying to Haggai and the people of Judah at that time, he's saying to us today. Is it right for you to invest in all of your personal luxuries and your 401ks and your retirement plans and your nice homes and your second homes and your co-ops and your and your hallelujah and your timeshares in in hallelujah in Hawaii or Bali or wherever they are hallelujah is it right for you to do all these things while you give no priority to my house which lays in ruins see the call of God is going out today People of God, build my house. Build the house of God.
Look at verse 5. <clears throat> now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Or in the NIV, it says, give careful thought to your ways. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Tell him, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Now, if you look through Haggai, God says this several times. Consider your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, before we can really do stuff for God, before we can really connect with his perfect will for our lives, we got to give time towards self-examination. We got to consider our ways. You know, sometimes, you know, a lot of us, we go into autopilot with the way we live our lives. You know? We just do things because we've always done them. That's just the way we grew up. That's the habits that we know. And we just don't. We just think everything's all right. And we just continue doing things. And sometimes God comes into our lives and says, consider your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. And you know what? God is gracious with us. He, he usually points out just one or two things at a time. He doesn't come out with a list of a hundred. Because he can Oh, trust me, hallelujah. In my life, man, if God wanted to really come at me, he can bring out like a hundred items on the list and just be like, consider your ways, Christian. And I'll be like, oh, I don't want to do anything. It's too overwhelming, you know. <clears throat> no, God's gracious, right? He just, he just points out one or a couple things, right? But, but sometimes that's the word that we need to hear. Like, we need to like self-examine. What are the things that you're doing and participating? The things that you're giving your time to? The things that you're investing your money in? The way your perspectives in life? Are they putting the kingdom of God first? Consider your ways. All right, and let's keep reading. Verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. God, all he does is point out what the, what the experiences, of, experiences are of the people of Judah that are living in Jerusalem. He just says, consider your ways. And actually, you know what? Here, let me just point them out to you. These are the things that you're experiencing, right? You're, you're harvesting, you're, you're sowing much, but you're harvesting little. Have you ever felt that way? You sow much, but you harvest a little? You ever done that with a friendship? You sow and you sow and you love and you give and you serve. And you can't even get a phone call back. Come on, man. We've all experienced friendships like that, right? We sow much. We harvest little. Man, (coughs) I'd say majority of my friends in high school, I sowed much and I harvested little. Man, they, they, they try to... Friend me on Facebook nowadays. I just like ignore. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. I mean, I harvest. I so much, man. They, they, no reciprocity, man. No love. All right, no, no effort. Stay in touch, man. There were all these like homeboys that I really just like, you know, loved on. Nothing, man. Nothing. <laughs> but hallelujah, that's that, that's the way sometimes we feel with our with our uh, with our finances. All right, look at the last line. It says, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Man, if any of you experience 
the economic hardship that we're going through right now, the economic crisis that's going on in America that's hitting the whole world, if you had a big investment and you lost it all, this is exactly how you feel like. You put all your investments, but they're going into a pocket with holes. And you could have sworn, all the analysts told you, that this would be the rate of inflation, this would be the rate of interest. And you were like, if I sow in this much, this is how much I'm going to reap later. And what happened? God happened. That's what happened. You think Alan Greenspan is in charge of the economy? You're wrong. Alan Greenspan, hallelujah, he's a graduate of NYU. And uh, <coughs> no, he, he, uh, for many, many years, he really helped build up the American economy. <coughs> but no man can control the economy of the world, brothers and sisters. And if you really trust all these analysts and you put all your money that way, you're going to be like that foolish man that Jesus talked about who stored up all of these things in his barn. And then one day God came to him and just said, your life is going to be taken from you tonight. Who's going who's gonna to enjoy all of these things? Brothers and sisters, we have to <coughs> consider where we're going to put these investments. Investments of our time, investments of our money, investments of our relationships. You know, relationships are investments, brothers and sisters. If all your friendships in your life have been situational, you've probably also been disillusioned and disappointed and hurt all throughout your life. Because situational friends will always come and go. But those friendships that the Lord leads you to, and he leads you to sow and invest in, those are the ones that are always going to have a return. Hallelujah. And when you, in your prayer life, he'll usually lead you to those friends. And there are certain friends from my childhood that I still pray for very diligently. They, they haven't, you know, I haven't really reaped anything from them. They haven't really shown me any love back. But I just continue to sow in because that's the, that's the friends God puts on my heart. You know, and hallelujah. When I was in college at NYU, there were three of my friends from high school. And I had many, many friends, brothers and sisters. Trust me, I had a lot of friends in high school. <coughs> but those three, God really put on my heart. All right, their, their names were Sam. Sam Kim, Sam Song, and Bora An. Hallelujah. Those are my three friends. And uh, for whatever reason, throughout my days in NYU, I really pray for them almost every night. I just diligently pray for them. All right. <coughs> Toward the end of college, uh, my friend Sam had a big turnaround. And he was really struggling, living like a very backslidden life. Freshman year, he used to call me up. He'd be like, yeah, man, there's nothing to do here at Penn State. And he'll be all drunk. And he'll be like, oh, I want to come visit you at NYU. And I'll be like, you got money? And he'll be like, no, I don't have no money. I spent it on all the beer. And I, you know, you can't visit me. And, you know, that's the way he was living. But by the end of college, God honored my prayers. Because God turned, completely turned his life around. And he even went on missions with Campus Crusade. He wasn't even part of Campus Crusade. He got to go on uh, missions to Vietnam with us. Hallelujah. And God really answered that prayer. <coughs> my friend Sam Song. Sam song, Sam sing a song. He, uh, <coughs> he went to church, grew up in the church, but he wasn't a Christian. He, he had me fooled. I thought he was a Christian. But throughout his college years, it came forth that he truly did not have a relationship with God. And, and he was uh, living a promiscuous lifestyle. He wasn't going to church. He, just, he, just, he knew that he was, he, he was uh, not saved. Right? And what happened was... <laughs> Right when we graduated, 
Hallelujah. All right. God gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with him at a mall in Abington, Pennsylvania. At the Abington Mall. Was it Abington Mall? I forget. I think it was Abington Mall. I got to share the gospel with him. And his heart was so cut to the core. And you see, that day, I foresaw it with all the years of prayers that I sowed into him. Right? And when I, I was ready, when, it, when God said, share the gospel, I was ready. And I shared the gospel with him, and he broke, and he was convicted. And then four, four or five days later, he went by his bedside, and he gave his life to the Lord. He prayed to receive Christ. Hallelujah. And some of you guys, I've shared that story before. My third friend, Bora. <coughs> Bora, uh, at one point, uh, she, was very, she was a very pretty girl, and dated, she always dated these older Korean guys, and then... Later on, she got disillusioned with older opas, so she started dating um, like non-Koreans. At one point, she was dating this, uh, this Caucasian guy, and uh, <coughs> uh, he was in jail uh, for uh, for murder. Okay, <laughs> no, he was a nice guy though. He was a nice guy. What happened was, <coughs> what happened was like his sister was married to this dude, and the dude was kind of abusive. And one day, the dude was yelling and cursing at his sister, and and uh, was, I think, getting a little bit physical. He came downstairs, and I guess he's smaller, so he got intimidated. He came downstairs with a baseball bat, and uh, uh, he lost it a little bit and uh, ended up killing his brother-in-law. Yeah, so uh, he only got, like, I don't know how many years. It was, like, three or four years. And, uh, he, got, he, got, he got 10 years and then parole or something. So he got out in three or four years. Man, she used to tell me. I went and, and I visited, you know, let's say this guy's name is Dan. I went and visited Dan this weekend. I'll be like, man, what you doing, boy? Lord! <laughs> get Bora out of that relationship with Dan. Get her in a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'll be praying that. I'll be praying that. Hallelujah. And for her, it wasn't until a year or two after we graduated, both graduated from college, and she started coming up to New York, and I started helping her find a job in New York City. That God used that relationship, and I, and I started really sowing the gospel seeds into her heart. And she started going out to Redeemer uh, Church with Tim Keller there, and she started hearing the gospel every single week. And she started going out to this other church in Queens. And somewhere in between, I don't know when she did it, she received the Lord into her life. Hallelujah. And I knew the shift came because I went to Kamiyo. We were eating Salongtang together. And while we were eating Salongtang on 32nd Street, the way she was talking to me, I was like, oh, hallelujah, you're saved. You know Jesus now. <coughs> and she also, you know, she grew up in the church. So, you know, she can talk to talk. But look, brothers and sisters, you know, you can talk to talk with me today. If you're a newcomer, you can talk to talk to me today. But I'm going to get a witness in my spirit about whether you really live in a Christian life or not. Whether you really have a personal relationship with Jesus or not. And if you don't, that's how I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray, Lord, bring them into a living relationship with you first. Hallelujah. Where was I? Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anyway, these, uh, these uh, Jews, they were, the reason why they felt like their wages were going into pockets with holes is because of the situation at that time. You know, Persia just took over Babylon. There was probably a lot of inflation. You know, when times of war, economy is kind of crazy. You know what I mean? In the time of Korean War, you know, you could have gone to Kimbap Chungguk one week and you could have gotten Kimbap for Ichonon. And then the next week, it would have been like, you know, something like that. You know, that's the kind of inflation. So they feel, you know, whenever there's inflation, you know, all your investments, usually they go kaput, you know. Hallelujah. And so that's, that's what, what they were experiencing. And look at verses 7 through 8. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. One moment God is talking about what their experiences have been with economic hardships. And then the next moment God is talking to them about going up to the mountains, bringing down wood and building his house. And the people are like, what do they have to do with each other? Lord, I'm asking you for financial blessing in my life. Lord, I'm about to go bankrupt. Lord, I'm looking to you for a blessing. Lord, my children are, are all lost and they're, they're going astray. Lord, I'm looking for a breakthrough. And you, you, you may be praying that way. And God, the way he responds is, go up to the mountains, bring down wood and begin to build my house. What's the name of this sermon? Building the house of God. What God says here in Haggai 1.8, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, when he said, don't worry about all these things. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Are you worrying about money today? Well, build a house of God. Are you worried about your children? Are you worried about... Well, none of us have children. I don't know why we're saying children. Do you, do you have cousins? Hallelujah. <laughs> that, are, that are backslidden, that are lost, that don't know the Lord. You have parents that don't know the Lord. Well, build a house of God. Don't spend all your energy trying to do something in their lives. All right? Seek first the kingdom of God. And God will provide for you all these things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and look at verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, who blew it away? Who's I? When you brought it home, I blew it away. So what, was, what, were, what they were experiencing in verse 6 with sowing much, harvesting little, eating and not having their fill, drinking, not having their clothing, feeling naked, and, 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 and putting wages into pockets of holes. What they were experiencing there in verse 6, God is saying, I caused it. Do you understand, people of God? Sometimes when your priorities are not straight in your life, God will cause certain hardships to discipline you, to point you to the right priorities. But a lot of times when these difficulties come, what, what do a lot of people naturally respond? They put more energy toward those things. Right? And so look at verse 9. So it says, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. What is the reason that God gives for blown investments, for hardships and struggles that the Jewish people were experiencing? What was the reason God gave? It says right here, because my house lies in ruins, that's why you are experiencing all of these hardships. Brothers and sisters, sometimes <clears throat> the reason why we feel like we're putting 
our wages into pockets of holes or, or bags of holes is because God's house is lying in ruins. Because church plants that should be happening all over the world so that Christ will be magnified and glorified in all the nations, they're not happening. And the churches that are already there, they're falling apart. And the people of God, they're doing nothing about it. You know what a lot of people do when, when um, they have a bad church experience? I'm sweating a lot up here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <coughs> Sorry. You know what a lot of people do when they have a bad church experience in America? Well, this is just for America, as you said, I know, right? They stop going to church. That's what a lot of people do. Hey, why, why, don't, why don't your parents go out to church? Uh, well, you know, they had this bad church experience, so uh, they stopped going. And they just feel like they can just worship God at home, you know? And a lot of, a lot of, people, a lot of children say that about their parents. Well, why do they respond that way? It, is, it doesn't make any sense. It's not biblical. Why are they doing that? I don't know either, but that's what people do. When they have a bad church experience, they just stop, they just stop going to church. Or they will go to church and their bodies will be there, but their hearts aren't. They sit there, they give the minimum, if at that. And they just say, you know what? This church is a mess. And until something happens, I'm not going to do anything for this church. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not even going to lift a finger for them. And, they, and there's all these people filling the church with those kinds of hearts. And what does God say? God says, my house lies in ruins while you guys are living in paneled houses. You know, a lot of times when people have a lot of bad church experiences, they, not, they either go, stop going to church or they go to church without their heart. And then what, you know what they do? Because we are created as with this God-shaped vacuum, right? We have this calling and this purpose, and all of us has, a, has this purpose in our lives. And if that purpose is not fulfilled, if that passion is not channeled, you know what it does? It gets channeled somewhere else. So when the people of God are not putting their passions to building the house of God, you know what a lot of the times what they do? They start putting their passions elsewhere on things that God didn't even ordain for them. You know, sometimes God calls people to business. God calls people to marketplaces, and he, he ordains them to do those things. And then there are people that are bitter and disappointed with the church, and they make investments, and they get involved with business. And you know what? God doesn't bless them. And you know what? You know what a person does who makes a business investment, but they, they don't prosper? You know what they do? They lie. They cheat. They steal. They do underhanded methods to gain their wealth. You know, when I meet a wealthy person, and I don't know how foolproof my discernment is, but I can always get one of two discernments. God, always, God either says, I gave them that wealth, or they earned it for themselves by lying, stealing, killing, cheating. You know, you know about the Enron scandal, you know? Plenty of people that make a lot of wealth that get away with it. The Enron's just the people that got caught. Right? I went to business school. I know, I know how it works. There's a lot of people that never get caught. They get away with it. But you know what? When, when they stand before God, they won't get away with it. Hallelujah. <coughs> but who knows whether they're going to get exposed while they're on this earth or not. There's a lot of people that are going to make their wealth through all these underhanded methods. 
And then there's another way to make wealth, and that's through God called, God ordained, God through God's favor, they get that wealth. Hallelujah. And even here in Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to study this later, as they continue to build, they actually build a temple fairly quickly. And I'll go over that. But the reason why they build it quickly is because they get all this financial blessing. But it's not through natural means. It's through God's favor. Hallelujah. Uh, we'll study that in the, in the future weeks. Uh, but praise the Lord. <coughs> so what's the reason that God gives for the struggles and the failed investments and the, and the hardships that the Jews were facing? It's because God's house was laying in ruins. Let's continue reading with me. Verse 12. I'll finish out this chapter. I'm trying to keep this sermon short. Hallelujah. I was just going to really just keep it a nutshell sermon. So uh, let's just read verse 12 here. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, this step that Zerubbabel took was a very difficult step. Why? Because Zerubbabel, 20 years earlier, had done there, seen it, and experienced how difficult it is to build a house of God. So this wasn't an easy decision. <clears throat> but when he heard the word of the Lord through Haggai, he was really convicted. So as Zerubbabel makes this decision to obey the voice of God, he has a lot of fear. Fear of opposition, fear of various threats, fear that they start and not be able to finish. They have all these fears. But hallelujah, they also have the fear of the Lord. The Bible says they feared the Lord. And they said, you know what? I haven't figured out all the details, but we're going to start. We is going to start. We is ready to count the cost, and we is going to go on with it. Hallelujah. So praise God. You know that. And, you know, and the building effort, you know, there's a, you know, I, I, I preached last week or two weeks ago about counting the stars and counting the cost. You know, and, and there's a lot of times God shows us these enormous visions of what he wants to do with our lives. And we've we got to count the stars. We've got to be really inspired by that vision. We've got to be filled with joy and excitement about that vision. But at the same time, we count the stars. We also got to not forget to count the cost. Because in order to get there, there's going to be a lot of cost. There's going to be a lot of attack. There's going to be a lot of opposition. There's going to be a lot of hardships and challenges and stretching that you are probably not going to be uncomfortable with. So we've got to learn how to count the stars, right? And hallelujah. And so Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, they had to really count the cost here. Because the second time around, they really know how, how hard it is. So <clears throat> they knew that the building effort would require manual labor. That means that people would have to either, if they are working too much, they have to quit their jobs and get a new job that will allow them to volunteer at nights. Hallelujah. Manual labor. He knew it would require manual labor. Second, he knew it would require finances. Third, he knew it would require sacrifice. Fourth, he, he knew it would require God's favor because in the natural realm, he knew that he just did not have the money to be able to finish his temple. And fifth, he knew that it would require a fight. It would require a battle because the last time around, he was opposed. And you know what? Back then, he was not ready to fight. And so he didn't. So when all these people threatened him and bribed all these counselors and all this stuff, what did he do? He didn't fight. He just turned back. 
So the second time around, Zerubbabel was filled with more of the wisdom of God. He knew what it would require, but yet he obeyed the voice of the Lord. He, he rose up to begin and restart this building process. And brothers and sisters, hallelujah, whoo, praise the Lord. It's the same today. <coughs> Years ago, centuries passed throughout the history of the church. God has been building his house, hallelujah. And all along the way, there have been oppositions, challenges. Some people, they pushed through. Other people, they stopped. And today, God is saying the same thing. Look, to build my house, it's going to require manual labor. It's going to require you guys, hallelujah, to pick up the trash, fold up the chairs, set up the mics, to teach the word of God. It's going to require manual labor. Back then, we're talking about a natural temple that were built with physical stones. But brothers and sisters, today, we do, we do some of that as well. We, we know, this building needs to get physically built. Hallelujah. But more than that, we build a living temple. You, I, we all make up living temples. And a temple of God that existed back then is now in its reality, all of us. We make up the temple of God. We are the living stones that make up the temple of God. So I, as your pastor, you know, I, I, I chisel away. I try to shape. Sometimes I got to put you in the fire. Like I put Marcus in the fire a lot of times. I'll be like, oh, this stone, man, you got you to put this in the fire. Hallelujah. You got to shape. You got to mold. You got to refine the living stones. Hallelujah. <coughs> and these stones, we got to know, know how to wait, where they fit together. Because a lot of times these stones, they don't want to fit together. They don't want to work together. It requires manual labor. Manual labor. It's going to require finances. The kingdom of God, for, for the kingdom of God to expand, for the kingdom of God to truly come, hallelujah, and for us to reach like a billion soul harvest, for us to see that kind of magnitude of harvest, it's going to require money. It's going to require money. Uh, you know what? Praise the Lord. It's going to require your money, my, my money too, but more of your money. Hallelujah. No, I'm playing. <coughs> it's going to require money. You cannot build the house of God today without money. So if you want to dodge all the issues, all right, you can try to dodge the issue of money, but you can't get away from it. All of you guys, you might, 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 you're saving up your savings. You're putting it towards your retirement. You're sending it home to mommy and daddy. But if you are not giving to the house of God, there's this same indictment that's coming to you today. It's going to require money. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require God's favor. You know, King Darius, you know, uh, he made a decree, but that decree was the decree of King Cyrus 20 years earlier. And what King Cyrus said was amazing. We're going to look at it in the following weeks. It was an amazing decree of favor. It was God's favor. You know, when the, the Israelites came out of Egypt, what did they do? They plundered the Egyptians. They, they were in Egypt as slaves, but they left wealthy as ever. Why? Because the favor of God, the judgment and favor of God was upon Egypt, and the favor of God was upon the Israelites, and they came out. They plundered the Egyptians. Hallelujah. <coughs> and, and today, we, in order to build a house of God today, we need the favor of God. We need the favor of God, not just from your pastor not just from your fellow friends. We need the favor of God before, before politicians, before business people. We need the favor of God. 
Hallelujah. You know, Dr. Park, the president of Campus Crusade. Whoo, hallelujah, man. It's like a, it's like a ginger bang up here. <coughs> president of Campus Crusade, he, uh, he had to raise, um, like, I, I forget what the true figure was, like four or five million dollars in order to, uh, host the CM 2007 conference back in 2007. That was, a, I was part of the planning team for that huge conference. It was about 16,000 students from all over the world that came for that conference. And he had to raise five million dollars. I mean, like the, I don't forget, 50,000 or 100,001 student fee that we charge the students, that didn't even cover like toshiraks, like the food that we gave out. I mean, it really covered nothing. So Dr. Park had to raise $5 million. And I was like, how is Dr. Park going to raise $5 million? And guess what? In like three or four years, Dr. Park raised like four or five million dollars. It was amazing. And you know how he did it? He'd be like, Christian, uh, I, I got to go. You know, let me just pray together. Let me close right now because uh, I have to go meet with the CEO of Samsung. You know, I have to go meet with the chairperson of Hyundai. I have to go meet with the pastors and elders of Yoido Full Gospel. I don't know. He would just say, <coughs> say all these things, you know. So it was really the favor of God that, uh, that made CM 2007 ha- happen. If, if it wasn't for the favor of God, there was no way we could have held that conference. Hallelujah. But where God gave Dr. Park that call and gave Campus Crusade that call, God also provided everything to fulfill that call. Hallelujah. And yeah, I mean, so even today, it's going to require manual labor, finance to sacrifice God's favor. It's going to require a fight as well. It's going to require a fight. It's going to require a fight because we have an enemy, the devil, who wants to battle against us, oppose us at every stage of our growth. He's going to oppose us. Brother Michael kept saying, with new levels comes new devils. Hallelujah. And you are going to need to fight, brother. Get ready. Learn something from this fight because it's going to help you for the next fight. And every fight you fight is going to be harder than the next. You're never going to be like, oh, this fight's going to be easy. I've already been through this already. No, whenever the fights come, the opposition come, it's going to be a lot harder than the previous one. Some of us, we were fighting the same fight for many, many, many years. That's because you're not living in victory. If you're victorious with a fight, oh, you're going to get a harder fight. You're going to get a more stronger opposition. Hallelujah. And this is not something strange. This is part of our Christianity. This is part of expanding the kingdom of God. You cannot go in and rob a strong man, Jesus said, unless you first tie him up. Hallelujah. If you don't tie him up and you go into that strong man's house, you're probably going to have to fight him. Hallelujah. But praise the Lord, brothers and sisters, we need to know that to build the house of God today is going to require a fight. It's going to require a battle. And I believe, hallelujah, that God's raising up an army here that knows how to fight. <laughs> knows how to fight. <coughs> Maybe this is just the way I grew up on the streets of Philadelphia. But everybody on the streets, man, there was no man, there was no guy that we despised more than a guy who didn't know how to fight. Ain't nobody want to hang out with a guy that doesn't know how to fight. So sometimes, you know, my friends, they would like pick a fight with a, with a new guy that just came in. Just to see if he will fight. So it'd be like, you know, just like bump him. Like, you know, well, you know my African-American brothers at, at Finn Letter Elementary School, man. I would just be eating my lunch. Sometimes they just bump me. Right? And they would be like, man, you chump. And I'll get up. All up in their face. And I'd be like, what you call me? And they come out strong enough, they'd be like, oh, oh, I didn't know, my man. I didn't know. I didn't know. And then they back off. 
But if they feel like they can take you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you know, and they don't necessarily want to fight you. They just want to see what's up. Because nobody wants to hang out with a guy that doesn't know how to fight. <coughs> but brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God, there are so many members of the church. They just don't know how to fight. At the first bark of the little, like, you know, Paco, you know, was at the retreat last week. <coughs> Ain't nobody was scared by the bark of that little dog. Right? Actually, Paco can get pretty scary if you get real close. <coughs> but, but, <coughs> my sisters, the devil has a big bark. But he, 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 he's like, his fangs have been, you know, taken out. He doesn't have canines. He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he just got a big bark. That's all we got. But we got all these members of the church. They're running away. They're fleeing and they're just scared in their corners because they're, they don't know how to fight. But brothers and sisters, we're coming to a day where the church needs to learn how to fight. Because to build a house of God, you cannot build it without a fight. And we need to create a culture in the church where we despise people, Christians, that have been Christians long enough to learn how to fight and they still don't know how to fight. They're called spiritual chumps in my book, hallelujah. And you know what? I'll give you a chance or two to, to learn how to fight. But if you continue to live that way, in my book, you're a little spiritual chump, hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, <coughs> when you get to heaven and you get to the judgment day when people are going to be rewarded, hallelujah, I'm not preaching right now. When people get rewarded, the people that God will honor will not be the spiritual chumps, I'm telling you. The people that God will honor, hallelujah will be the Zerubbabels. They will be the Joshua's. And we're talking also about the Joshua and Moses' time. The Caleb's, hallelujah. The ones that were unafraid to go up and fight and take to what is for the Lord's, hallelujah. And to build the house of God. The Nehemiah who said, you take up a weapon in one hand and you take up a brick in the other and you build the house of God and you defend the, the walls of Jerusalem in the other, hallelujah. And you build it. Fight for yourselves and for your families. Hallelujah. That's what he said. That's what we need in the church. Hallelujah. It's hot up here. Hallelujah. Oh, well, well, man, the newcomers give me this look right now. All right, let me, let me, let me, <coughs> let me just wrap it up. Wrap it up. Let me just wrap it up with a promise. Look at verse 13. When Zerubbabel and these people, they responded and they committed to obey the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. Whenever we respond to God's call with obedience and faith, God always responds with a promise. Hallelujah. Amen. And this is the promise that they really needed to hear. And then look at verse 14. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirred up the spirit of Joshua, and stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Hallelujah. And I'm just going to close with this. God stirred up their spirits. You see that? And, whew, and you're going to see this. Uh, there's a verse in Zechariah. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. They, they, God says, Look at my house that's laying in ruins. Go up to the mountains. Bring down the wood. Build my house. Hallelujah. And then the people said, all right, we get it now. We're, we're going through all these struggles and challenges and hardships and poverty. is because we haven't been building a house. All right, Lord, we're going to build a house. We respond with faith and obedience. And then God says, 
I will be with you. Gives them this promise. And it doesn't end there. It's not like the people, it says, they took the promise of God and they went out and they began to build and work on the house of the Lord. It doesn't say that. It says, then the spirit of Zerubbabel was stirred up. And the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the people, they were stirred up and then they started to work on the house of God. Hallelujah. Not by might nor by power, not by man's strategies or cleverness, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. We need to be filled with the spirit, brothers and sisters. We need to get our spirit stirred by the spirit of God. We need to get the fire of God in us to complete the work of building the house of God in this end generation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord. And Lord God, I just send out your call to this congregation today. And I pray that, Father God, that the people of God here, that they will begin to really give careful thought to their ways. Lord, I pray that, Lord, people would begin to really examine how they have been living their lives. Whether they have been putting your kingdom first. Whether they have been involved in the work of building the house of God. Or whether they've just been living in their paneled houses. Father God, I pray that you will stir upon the hearts of your people. As they respond with faith and obedience. As they respond and say, yes, Lord, we want to build your house. I pray that, God, you will speak your promises over them, that indeed that you will be with them. For you said yourself, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and build my house. Hallelujah. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You have given us this promise, God. And so no matter what hardships, challenges, labor, finances, opposition that we face, we need not cower back and give up. But we can go and press forward knowing that you are with us. And God, Lord, the only hope that we will actually complete the work is by being dependent and being filled on your Holy Spirit. God, fill your people with the Spirit of God. Stir us up. Put your fire and passion in us. The zeal of the Lord Almighty be upon us. So that, God, Lord, that we will build the house of God. That we will serve and build up the churches. That we will do church plants and be involved with church plants. That we will take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, oh God. For the glory of your holy name. Build your house, oh God. That you may be glorified in it. And that you may take pleasure in it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.